The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. I don't know if this is true or not, but I'm going to use this phrase to stroke my own ego. And I'm going to say, uh, welcome to a long anticipated episode of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic here with Jonah Bronstein of the New Bronstein Times. And um, long awaited. What? Second biggest comeback of the week. Tiger Woods and then Tim Graham. Uh, Right. I, and it'll probably be the third. I anticipate we're going to hear from Chris Rock at some point. So I'm going to put myself at third. Um, oh, no, wait. We got to – how about Kansas Jayhawks? Oh, there you go. Well, I, I'd put you on par with that, though. Yeah, all right. That's up for discussion. We could talk about that. Uh, I was uh, out of pocket for a week because I was down in Florida covering the NFL owners' meetings where the Bills' new stadium was on the agenda. Um, two things I want to get out of the way real quick. Number one, I want to apologize for listeners. If it sounds as though my microphone is still blown out, I can't figure it out. Uh, I've gone through all the different diagnostics. It says everything's working fine. I think I might have it better, but I endeavor to get this fixed. And you may say, well, Tim, it sounds like shit. No, that's me. I sound like shit. I'll be able to tell when I listen back. Hopefully my microphone is fixed. Uh, but I have uh, I have a sore throat and a little bit of a cough. And we both know, Jonah, in these days, uh, that means I'm going to die. Yeah, I just was thinking maybe the microphone's too good. It's like high-definition television picking up all the vocal flaws that a regular mic would skip over. Oh, I'm not feeling great. All right, so I'll be able to tell when we listen back. Uh, but there's, that's one of the problems, too, is when I, I do a recording, I do tests, it sounds fine. And then when uh, Zoom processes the audio and I go to uh, you know, put it into the production software, it sounds awful. So I, it's, uh, it's an issue. It's an well, issue. I look- apologize to the listeners. This has been going on for a few weeks. So maybe you needed that week off from me uh, to, uh, to listen to some more dulcet uh, podcasts that are out there in Western New York. Plenty has been discussed. Sabres are a hot topic, and we're going to get to that. Jonah Bronstein's been covering the Sabres. Uh, I was unable to get to the Rick Jenner at night. I would love to have been there. Uh, I couldn't get there because I was still out of town. I anyway. sat in your seat. I'm sorry? I, I sat in your seat, so it was oh, you fine did. by me that you didn't show up. Oh, well, you knew I wasn't going to make it, so you didn't have to worry about moving. Um, And I... So I was, I was too busy doing the Lord's work, uh, covering uh, the bills in their stadium. Um, Jonah, what was it like back here in Western New York? I was stuck down there in, uh, in Palm beach covering uh, everything as it was breaking. Uh, I'm a bit insulated because I'm there at the owner's meetings hotel. 
And I'm trying to track down this owner, that owner, this NFL executive, that Bill's employee, um, and trying to get insight. But I don't really know what's going on back in Western New York as far as reaction to the $850 million uh, figure. And of course, I go back on social media later, you know, once I'm caught up with my work, but I don't know that that does it, uh, does it justice. What's, uh, what, was, what was it like back here from your standpoint? Well, I will say at the start of the week for a day or so was mostly people waiting with bated breath, whatever that phrase means, on your Twitter feed and what was going to come out of your early reporting and previous reporting as to the stadium deal and when that would break and when it would be official and the hows and the whys. Then as that picked up momentum, there were a lot of reports, local and national, and eventually a, you know, announcement and everything became official. And I mean, what was the reaction locally? I think everybody's an individual, so there were some mixed reactions, but it does seem like mostly positive, mostly some sort of celebratory reaction from Bill's fans in Western New York that the deal got done and the stadium's going to be built in Western New York. And there's no more anxieties about the Buffalo Bills perhaps moving or being forced to move. I didn't think that was a major threat really at any point in the last, in the, in under the ownership of the Pagulas. And even before that, I wasn't as worried about the Bills moving as many others were, but a lot of people in Western New York have had that anxiety and a new stadium deal secures the Bills' future in Buffalo more than any ownership deal or anything that any commissioner or any NFL official could say. This is a lease and a real estate deal that makes sure the Buffalo Bills play in Buffalo for at least the duration of this deal and, and the stadium being new. So it's time to build a new stadium. Yeah, I wasn't concerned with the Bills moving, and that was one of the things that I uh, talked to uh, various people about, how refreshing it was in covering the story. And I know I've said it on this podcast a number of times, but I actually told Terry Pagula that um, it was um, refreshing for me as somebody who's covered an owner being taken away in handcuffs uh, and then being plunged into bankruptcy, that Sabres team possibly leaving depending on what the ownership situation was going to be uh, after that period where the NHL took it into receivership and ran the team, Tom Golisano materializing to buy the team. Uh, when I was at ESPN, I covered Wayne Huizinga selling the team, uh, the Miami dolphins uh, and his stadium. Uh, I've covered other stadiums being constructed, including uh, the Meadowlands uh, when I was covering the jets for ESPN and um Ralph Wilson's death, Terry, Terry Pagula stepping up to buy the bills, uh, that whole thing, the Bon Jovi bid and the Trump bid and the Galasano bid. And, uh, and now here, and I even want to go back to collective bargaining agreements with the national hockey league and their union. And with Buffalo being the smaller market that it is, even though it is, it doesn't really carry that stigma of a small market team when it comes to the national hockey league. But um, at that time, the season long uh, lockout that happened with the team fresh out of bankruptcy and a new owner and the team was lousy and there was uh, concern that whole stew, there was concern that the team could leave. I never felt that the bills were going to move and uh, their, their consultant that they hired, Jim Wilkinson uh, said very, very, very early on in the stages of this stadium discussion that Buffalo is going to have to decide whether or not it wants an NFL team. 
And then we didn't really hear from Jim Wilkinson much anymore after that. And I think part of the reason was, is that that is the threat card didn't want to be played. The, the bills didn't feel the need to play it. Uh, it's the hammer behind the back, I guess it's there. It's, it's in the wings. You know, it's, it's possible that they could leave for St. Louis. Um, there's some other markets out there that I've, I've heard mentioned from NFL people. And I'm not talking about people who would be guessing, but if there were a short list of teams that the NFL or, or markets that the NFL would, eye, St. Louis, another one in Chicago, especially with the bears stadium, uh, in the crosshairs there in, in the Chicago area, a new bill, our new bear stadium, uh, that there could be a situation similar to the Meadowlands or Los Angeles, where you have two teams in a large market sharing the same stadium. Uh, I think that that could be pulled off. Um, that also would fit in with, you know, alignment. Uh, I think it would be an AFC team and it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to keep that division together. Um, Birmingham, Austin, um, Orlando, you know, there's all kinds of places uh, that I think you could see an NFL stadium uh, being built for a new tenant. Uh, and that, that, uh, that municipality, that county, that state government bending over to make sure that they had that, uh, the, um, the venue that they needed to be competitive with the, uh, the better teams in the NFL with a brand new stadium. So that was always in, that was always implied, but never really not explicitly. It was always just suggested. It wasn't even really suggested. So anyway, I guess my, my roundabout way of saying is that I, I thought it was impressive that the bills could get $850 million in public money without really going down that dirty road where you need to borderline threaten your fans that this team could leave. And it's something that we've seen in, in most stadium deals. You see it even when the team stays, it's not even Oakland to Las Vegas, or it's not St. Louis to Los Angeles. It's anytime you need a new stadium, it's Arizona, you know, it's Phoenix doing that. It's Seattle when they build their new stadium. It's, it's San Francisco when they build their new stadium. Hey, you know, you want to keep this team here anywhere in this region or, you know, you're going to have to cough it up. And uh, the Bills really didn't have to do that. And I, and I thought that that was impressive from the NFL's and the Bills standpoint. And, and again, this is coming from somebody who doesn't think that a billionaire should get a cent of public money. I guess I should say that up front. So I'm not spiking the football that yes, you know, the bills are going to stay and this is the way it's supposed to be. I also would have liked to have seen the stadium downtown, but that just wasn't the reality of it. And I know a lot of people got upset with my coverage. Um, or I guess I should say some people who were emotionally and financially invested in the idea of a downtown stadium were up, were upset with my coverage. Um, but I don't cover fantasy. I don't cover pipe dreams. I covered the reality of the situation. And this, this stadium was going to go across Abbott road in orchard park without a dome. And, uh, and here it is um, about to be built with 850 million in taxpayer, or I guess I should say in public funding. And um, it's the reality. That's the way it is. It's the cost of doing business in the NFL. If you want to keep your team. Uh, yeah, I guess there's a lot to unpack there. I I think that now that it's a done deal, because I could understand why in your reporting, you know, as a reporter and when you're trying to 
get the information and put the correct information out there. You're not in the role of critiquing it at all. And maybe even still after having reported the story, it's not something you want to be too critical of. But I do think there's a lot to critique in how this deal was made. I mean, it's a very big deal, both in terms of the numbers and what it means to Western New York. And everybody has some sort of opinion on where the stadium should be and what type of stadium it should be and, and different uh, opinions. And there was never any type of referendum vote or there were public forums, but nothing really official involved with the stakeholders who were making decisions. And a lot of the opinions of the public and the taxpayers by proxy that, that end up paying for most of the stadium and the Bills fans and customers that end up paying all of the private money back. You know, they call it a public-private partnership, but then when the profits come in, it's only private profits or there might be some community benefits agreement, but we don't even know what that's going to be or how that's going to apply. And it's probably going to be much smaller than what the owners get back in their revenues. There's the tax revenue of millionaire football players, although that's overplayed. That's something that really doesn't matter as much, but it's it, see that. Sure. It, but, but there's also doesn't change that equation. I mean, you know, right. I, there is some value in having a professional sports franchise, but it's been studied that it's not a huge economic benefit that it's more of a, sociological entertainment, local pride, and emotional, emotionally devastating for West New York to lose the Bills, but maybe not as economically devastating. And at the same token, I don't think a stadium downtown or even ancillary development in Orchard Park around a new stadium is a big economic movement. It really takes economic dollars. But all that aside, I think West New York fans should feel fortunate that they live in New York State and that the geography and the tax base and having a governor from Western New York that was previously involved. And, you know, this has been built into the political culture going back many years and generations to when Ralph Wilson owned the team and was trying to build the first stadium and then, uh, you know, remodel the current stadium and things like that. So it's been decided, I think, long ago that New York State and Erie County were going to pay whatever it takes to keep the bills in Western New York. This is almost a New York State Democratic agenda item. Brian Higgins and Chuck Schumer have come out at times in the past and been supportive of this, even though it's not federally funded. So it almost, you really almost couldn't be a Democrat in New York and go against this project, even though it is kind of interesting how, in theory, it could hurt Kathy Hochul's reelection bid, but she seems to be in such a good position that it's not a big risk for her. I, I, I think she played her cards well, because this deal was hammered out a long time ago. We're talking weeks, and she held on to it. Uh, because she didn't want to give her political opponents um, red meat uh, to devour. She didn't want to throw things out there to be dissected by even people in her own party because she's going to get primaried. Uh, this is a re-election year for her. There are Democrats who want that seat, downstate Democrats in particular, because Western New Yorkers just don't hold the governor's office. And it took a, a, a scandal uh, and a resignation for Kathy Hochul to get this office. And so now you have Democrats that want it. And then she's going to obviously go up against a Republican. And this is going to be something that's mentioned in the political attack ads. Uh, it would have been uh, discussed in the newspapers around the state, uh, not just in Western New York. Obviously, it was a triumph in Western New York. The Buffalo News rolled out a story just as the deal was announced, which is you know, kudos to them for having the ability to uh, have the, the governor give them that story. Um, uh, it was <laughs> it made it difficult for me because um, 
the story comes out as the announcement. I didn't really have a chance to process everything that was in the deal at the time it was announced. Meanwhile, the Buffalo News had bullet points as to what the governor's office uh, thought were, were the different highlights and, uh, and the things. Uh, but she needs the votes. She can't. She's got to. Uh, she's got to be able to do her end zone dance uh, in Western New York, if not in the other parts of the state where she's probably going to ignore it. And that's why it was also a press release and not a news conference. Uh, it was done subtly. Uh, so that way her opponents can't just devour it. They can't just, uh, you know, nitpick it and say, look at this. She's given this, uh, this boondoggle to her homes, her hometown. Um, meanwhile, her husband's great- company. I mean, that's a pretty blatant conflict of interest there. And and I don't know if it means that she's a corrupt politician, but I do think it's something that political opponents could highlight and point to as a. uh, Could potentially do business with. Right. You're talking about Delaware North. Delaware North. Yes. Yes. Potentially could potentially do business with. um, but uh, yeah, that's something that'll be mentioned, I'm sure, and twisted. It, it, that doesn't even necessarily have to be true. We know that. Uh, facts don't play in political ads. It, whatever is the, mo- the sexiest thing that you can say to grab your, the viewer's attention. So yeah, that probably will be used, whether it's accurate or not. Um, so she held on to it for as long as she could, right until the owners had to vote on it. They, that was the, the natural time for that news to be released, uh, which I'd been writing all along. And um, it made total sense for the governor to play it that way. Um, but the deal had been done. And I know that there were a lot of people that the NAACP stepped up on Saturday, I think it was in a, in a story in the Buffalo news, uh, all of a sudden saying, Hey, as long as there's no deal done, uh, there's still time to get this uh, stadium moved downtown. And I think the naivete involved with some of these local groups, uh, including that common council meeting um, that uh, was just a, a I don't want to, it wasn't a sham because I think they thought they were doing something very important, but it was way too late in the game. And as Pat Freeman, who we both know through his, his work as a, as a sports journalist, as a a sports radio here in in Buffalo, and he'd been an advocate for a downtown stadium for years and years. um, You know, he put, he pretty much just scolded everybody at that meeting. Like I've been telling you this for years and years, you gave me, there, there was a resolution from the common council about what a great thing this was years ago. And then you didn't do anything about it. And now here we are having a common council meeting, people who have no say in this talk begging for the opportunity to move this stadium downtown. It was too late. Whenever that was October or November, it was, I mean, it was all, it was all gong show stuff. And, um, if anybody wanted to get involved in putting that stadium downtown, it had to happen four five, seven years ago. Uh, and I'll, I'll even mention this as an anecdote, and I'm not saying that this is the baseline or how it had to happen, but just for an example, there's only one stadium that was moved from the suburbs into the city for an NFL team of the current stadiums in existence. They've all either always been downtown or have moved out into the suburbs. There's one that moved from the suburbs into the city and it's Detroit. And that took eight years, eight years of concerted campaign work between all the politicians involved with the county, with the city, all the different business people. And, and by the way, the Detroit Tigers had to be involved in it too. There's no major league baseball team that has 81 dates that can come in and say, Hey, uh, Hey bills, let's, let's maybe work on this together. Uh, the, the Tigers had done all the groundwork and the Lions at the last minute kind of got in on it. Well, last minute, relatively speaking, but it still took eight years. So for people 
for the for there to need to be shovels in the ground for the Bills to be able to move out of this stadium that they're currently in before it falls apart, uh, that has to happen so very very soon. As in within the next year, uh, shovels have to be in the ground to get this stadium built. Um, and you had people in late fall, early winter saying, "No, no, no, let's <laughs> come on now." Let's take a look at this and let's see where we want to put the stadium. And you would add all these groups getting involved, dragging it down. We need a referendum. Let the taxpayers say where the stadium's going to go. All right. So I know I'm going on a tangent here because I write about this a lot and everything's just coming out of, off the top of my head. But you did have a segment of the, of the public out there saying we demand to have a say as to where the stadium goes. Okay. Well, then somebody in Binghamton and somebody in um, the Hudson Valley and somebody in Brighton, New York, and people down in wherever, Schenectady, they all have an equal say because it's their money getting spent too, right? It's their 600 yeah. million. Sure. So who gets to vote? Who gets to decide? Right. So you and, know, and, and you know what happens when they get to vote? There's no stadium because they're going to say, hell no. Right. I'm, not give, I'm not giving my money to a, a billionaire in Western New York for some stadium that I'm never going to go to. I'm a Giants fan. I'm a Jets fan. Yes. Right. I mean, I think that there should have been more public debate earlier in the process and that uh, the people negotiating for the stadium on the bill side and the politician side kind of boxed out the public and the public comment aspect of this and finding out negotiating in a way that was on behalf of the community and, and the fan base and the state in a way like, you know, there should have been maybe a little bit more of the state's only going to give so much money because the rest of the state's not going to benefit from this stadium in Western New York. And that's been part of the discussion and negotiations and putting this deal together. Um, however, I think my disappointment in it is that, you know, the state and the County came up with a lot of money, well over a billion dollars. When you talk about the, the maintenance and the total financial commitment over the term of the lease, and it'll probably be even bigger than what's already on paper now. And the, so the public-private partnership wasn't a 50-50 partnership. The private money is much less than the public money. And the scope of the project was scaled back or could have been scaled higher with more private dollars. And you could have got in, whether it's a bigger stadium or a stadium with a roof or different types of developments or functionality of the stadium or the stadium being downtown, which was ruled out mostly from what I've read in your reports and other reports for cost reasons. I mean, there's other reasons that you could say is why the stadium's not downtown, but if it made sense financially, I think the Pagulas had visions of building downtown at some point in their ownership, at some point in their developing properties and acquiring properties downtown. I don't know that, and Jonah, just to throw in, the, I think it was the time involved, the fact that it was going to take so much longer to build, some, some estimates between two or three years longer to build downtown. Sure than it would take to get but it that's, done. That's a short-sighted reason to not make a deal. If that's, you know, I think the time, money, and displacing residents. Well, and, if the current uh, one is falling apart and it gets to a point where you can't play, you can't seat people in the upper deck because right. yeah, the, the mean, lifespan of the building sure, is, is, yeah. is, is what it is. And the, that, a that, a uh, an engineering firm comes in and says, it is unsafe for you to sell tickets in the 300 level. Yeah. Um, but if the Palooza were, more motivated to build a stadium downtown, they could have gotten ahead of that. And I think there were times when they were maybe at least investigating or positioning themselves to get ahead of that and announce a stadium deal and plans to build 
at certain properties and whatever happened with their finances and the economy and businesses and really just the climate and the appetite for that stadium project went away in recent years, but was there at a time. And I'm and you had developers you had developers reading those tea leaves too and starting to pick up pieces of property. Yeah. And yeah. those and are the people who you're hearing from now is like, hey, wait a minute, yeah. it's gotta go downtown. It's better for the city. No, it's better for your pockets. Well, perhaps, but I, I don't think everybody that advocates for a downtown stadium or a dome stadium or this or that is wrong. No, I, as I said, I wanted game, it downtown. It's too myself. late in the game for that to be changed. And I don't think the stadium should be downtown, but I do think enough people do want a downtown that that should have been explored more thoroughly and that the stakeholders and the negotiators should have explained to the public and the customers that ultimately pay for this whole thing, why it's not going downtown better than they did. It was more of a, you know, browbeating talk down from the mountain. Like you don't know what's good for you guys. And that, and I, I think that's unsettling with how much public money was put into this. Now if the Pagula's paid for the whole stadium, like Jerry Jones did in Dallas, they can build it wherever they want. And they can build it outside of Buffalo if that's what they're going to do. But when it comes to a point where the public money is 60, 70% of the overall project, then I don't, I don't like the fact that the stadium seems to have been built precisely where the Pagulas in the NFL wanted it, how the Pagulas in the NFL wanted it, on the schedule that the Pagulas in the NFL wanted it, and just about everything that the Pagulas proposed was just seemed to be rubber stamped. Now, maybe I shouldn't say everything. I do think the county – work for some things with maybe this functionality for soccer and the community benefits agreement. I actually will have to wait until Mark Polencar's book comes out, but we'll see what they negotiated on our behalf. And I think they at least tried as much as the County and, and it's smaller budget and, and, you know, smaller scope of what they were able to do. I don't know if the state did that, but ultimately the state rubber stamped a lot of money that people downstate probably don't want to pay. And West New Yorkers should maybe be thankful for that or, you know, there's a lot of layers to go through here, but, you know, the casino cash from the Seneca Nation is reportedly going to be going to funding a lot of this project. And, you know, we could spend all day on a podcast on who's entitled to that money and where that comes from. Yeah, and, that's political so. PR there. That was, as I said in a tweet, yeah, it looks great for Kathy Hochul to be able to take that money and immediately shift it right to the stadium and say it's Western New York's money. It's going to stay in Western New York. Uh, she put the screws to the Senecas by freezing their accounts and making them pay uh, what what was owed to the state. But she could have done that at any time. She could have done that for any time for any other project. So she chose to do it for PR, smoke and mirrors, um, giving it right back to Western New York for uh, for the stadium. Yeah. She could have someone, done it for an education. Someone say that's for, good for, politics. For, for poverty. It. She could have done it for all kinds of other things. Oh, it's great politics. Right. It was great. But I, I, because it, it works and people look at it and say, oh, and they did. They said, wow, pennies from heaven. Look at that. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, I mean, I, I find that interesting. And I don't know if I know enough to really take a side on it. But I, I do think there's a lot of sides as to whether how that money should be distributed and who's entitled to it and where it should go. But if you're a diehard Bills fan or a diehard Western New Yorker going to the stadium and wants to keep that culture and that tradition alive, I think you're should be happy that if that's the money that's going there, I mean, it's all just appropriations and moving numbers around on a piece of paper, but 
if that's the way it plays out, I think you're kind of happy that the political climate came together at this time and it all, the deal worked out for itself in a way that 10 years prior or 10 years down the line might not have done so the same way. And with the way stadiums are, yes, I know that it's a record-breaking deal of, of public contribution for an NFL stadium, but the next stadium will break that record. And I think in 10 or 15 years, this deal will look, well, rather average because that's what happens. These deals all get baked into the, the algorithm uh, of, of small market this versus, uh, you know, how small market teams need a lot of money uh, for the public to, to keep their team, whereas the Dallas's and the Los Angeles's and the Foxboroughs can all pay for their own stadiums. Um, but uh, it, Buffalo and Cincinnati and, and in Cleveland, you're not going to get that. I will say this, um, just because you made me think of it with Kathy Hochul, and I guess we're saying she handled this well politically for her own sake. I think so. The deal done. And, it was savvy. Right. I mean, I, you I, can I, see through yeah. it. You can see through a lot of it. Yeah. If you were uh, but, doing an episode of uh, House of Cards or whatever about the politics, she'd come out as the hero of the story, I think. Yes, I think in so. In some ways. You know who wouldn't come out as the heroes of the story and should have? is the owners of the team, the Pagulas. It didn't prevent them from getting booed at the Sabres game, which is maybe more of a, an issue with their ownership of the Sabres and that crowd. But yeah. I do think there's a way that if this stadium deal was done days before that Rick Jenneret game and the Pagulas had come up with a majority of the money and they were being seen as the ownership group that kept the team in Buffalo as they were when they bought the team, that they would have been, they would have gotten a big standing ovation. I think if some things had been handled differently or presented differently, or if the perception was different, and maybe they can't control all of that. I think that if this was perceived as the Pagula stepped up to keep the Bills in Buffalo and fund the stadium and give maybe, and maybe if it was a downtown stadium, that would be more of a look what they're bringing downtown for all the people that want that and would celebrate that. But it didn't happen that way. It seems more like the Pagula squeezed the public for as much money as they could get to build a smaller stadium in a location that not everybody wants, even though I think they're pretty happy with going to the games there as it is, that could have led to a more positive response for the first time that they kind of showed their face in public in well over a year at, at the Sabres game on Friday. Yeah. The victory for the Pagulas is a small one and it's that 850 million does not equal 1 billion. And that number was floated around out there. And like you said, once the math is all done, it's going to be over a billion dollars uh, when you factor in all the different things. But And stadiums uh, can be – it can go over budget. And well, but the Pagulas are supposed like to pay for all the overruns. Oh, okay. But we'll see. We'll see what happens there. Uh, but you bring in the Sabres, and, and we're getting up to uh, – I know you're pressed for time. You have to get downtown uh, to cover the Sabres game tonight. So uh, it's a natural segue. Um let me just give a quick overview of where the Sabres are in case you're not paying attention. Uh, they are 25, 34 and 11. They have 61 points in the standings and there's uh, a prob high probability that they are eliminated from the playoffs tonight with still 12 games left. I think that would be make it with 11 games left because if it happens tonight, um, but there's an excitement in the arena uh, for a couple of things. Um, Jack Eichel's return, I think. Uh, we could look back on it and, and see that that was when the, the building started to find its juice. Uh, and then also RJ Knight, uh, which was last Friday. Um, the Sabres are 9-4-3, and three, including an eight-game point streak that was just broken in a loss to Florida uh, on Sunday afternoon. 
was yep. it or Saturday afternoon? Sunday Sunday afternoon, afternoon. third largest crowd uh, all season, probably even some rollover from RJ night and the fact that the team's playing well and the weather's getting better. And uh, it was a good afternoon game, family game or kids night or kids day or whatever they call it. Um, but Jonah, you're out there a lot and you're going to be out there again tonight. Um, well, actually, let's talk about Terry Pagula getting booed uh, on Friday. You mentioned it there. I, I have a tendency to think that the Pagulas are probably in a place right now that when it comes to their hockey team, they're going to expect to get booed. I don't know that there's anything they could have done, especially surrounded by hockey fans. Um, you know, yes, I'll there are some one bills. thing they could have done, but go on, go on. No, I was just going to say that, yes, there's obviously Bills fans in there, but the people who are coming out for RJ night are, are diehard Sabres fans who I think the Venn diagram would be one circle uh, of people who are pissed off with where the team is right now. Um, and uh, people who have, have the deepest, fondest memories of Rick Jenneret's career. Yes and no, but I would say, you know, they showed a lot of tributes to Rick Jenneret on the video board during in between periods and timeouts. And some of them were Rick Jenneret calls and highlights. And some of them were former players and former broadcasters giving their thoughts. And one of the people they went to was Jim Kelly, and he probably got the second or third biggest cheers of the night in terms, at least in those little segments that people did. And Deion Dawkins was at the game with Jack Eichel a couple weeks ago, and he got one of the largest cheers of the night. So there's a lot of crossover with these Bills and Sabres fans. Bills fans are Sabres fans. Sabres fans are Bills fans. Uh, It might not cross over in season ticket sales and who actually, you know, I think that's what Kim Pagula said, that there wasn't a strong correlation between season ticket holders in one building and season ticket holders in the other building. There aren't very many season ticket holders in one of the buildings right now. That might be part of the reason why. But I think there's something the Pagulas could have done to avoid getting booed like they did on a very festive night when they're trying to honor Rick Jenneret and doing a nice thing for Rick Jenneret. And Terry Pagula was the one presenting Rick Jenneret with the banner and the thing that they did. And that would have been if this wasn't the first opportunity Sabres fans had to boo the Pagulas all season long. If they had been more prominent and showing themselves at earlier games with smaller crowds, let some of these people get the boos out of their system, and maybe it would have been less felt like this was the night to react to that. But this was the first opportunity, the first time they'd been introduced to the crowd in Buffalo uh, in a Sabres game in that many years. I don't even feel like they've been as out in the open at Bills, fan, Bills games in the past year or two as they had been before. They seem to have been avoiding this opportunity to have the backlash from the Sabres fans and that segment of the fan base. And it set that up to be, and they weren't booed that lustily. I thought it would have been a bit of a more of a mixed reaction that not everybody was there to boo them, but they did get booed. I was listening on the radio and I couldn't tell really. I just heard it was definitely noticeable, but they were very quick in moving on to introducing Kevin Adams. And by the time, people realized they were booing Kevin Adams and then they kind of stopped. So I do think that was part of it, but you know, just to sum up the point, if the Pagulas had shown up and been introduced to the crowd and been at more of the games and on the video board more often earlier in the season, I don't think they would have gotten booed quite as much this past Friday. Yeah, that would have been, or another way is to not make the presentation, although then people would have talked about it, but at least they wouldn't have gotten booed and we wouldn't be discussing that aspect of it. And speak to the fans a little bit more or speak to the, you know, have they come out and made any statements about the stadium? I don't think they have. They have not. No. Yeah. Right. So, you know, they haven't really had this opportunity to build back goodwill with the Sabres playing pretty well of late and winning games and 
having good vibes and being fun to root for and fun to watch. I don't know if the fan base is – they are interested in booing the Pagulas. They're the least popular members of the team right now. But there's a way where that could have gotten – they could have gotten over that hump, I think, in the last few weeks, the last few months. And it would be more of a, you know, we're happy about where this team is going. And these owners, it might have taken them a few kicks at the can, but they got a GM and a coach that are now getting the most out of the young talent. And it seems like they're building towards better days, as Sabres fans like to say. And the Pagula should get a little bit of credit for that, but they've been positioned in ways where they're not getting any of that credit. And, and I don't know when that's going to change. It hasn't changed yet. From your standpoint, up there in the press box covering these games, uh, I don't know, how many games do you think you've covered this year, Jonah? 20? I'd say 25. All right. Just a little bit more than half, probably. Okay, so what is your take on how things have evolved uh, from a fan standpoint from the beginning of the season to where we are now? Yeah, I mean, well, there's more fans in the building. I think some of that has to do with how they're playing, but I think some of that has to do with the pandemic and getting over the border and, and some of the things like that, it's a little bit easier to get into the building overall. Um, you know, the energy was there on opening night. It, it was a small crowd, but those who were there seemed to fit that mantra of we want the players who want to be there. And we had the fans who want to be there. And there have been crowds that weren't very big that seemed into the game and, and as loud as they could get. So there has been there haven't been a lot of games where you see fans there with bags on their head booing the home team. There's been a couple of games where they played poorly and in between periods there's a little bit of booze, but most of the fans have been there to enjoy the team and get a seat early on in this ride. I think people who are watching this team either live or on TV feel like they are going to be better in the future and they want to say they were fans of this team during this lean season and they're a more likable team with the players that they have and players that are playing well and kind of the goal songs and the reactions. It's, it's a team that people who are watching and paying attention and rooting for seem to be having fun with that. And the ones that are staying away, it, it really seems like a boycott against the owners and that they, a lot of people must have broken their personal boycotts to go to the Rick Jenneret night last week. And it was, it was a very memorable experience. I think there were anybody who was at that game is going to remember that forever. And a lot of people who weren't at that game are going to feel like they were at that game from watching it on TV or all the reaction to it. It's going to be remembered as one of the memorable Sabres games. And they won the game. They came through for the crowd at the beginning with the first goal and ultimately winning the game late and getting to do another encore for Rick Jenneret on the ice afterwards, which I don't think you do that if they lose. So it's been a fun experience for everybody who's been in the building. And even though they're going to miss the playoffs and they're in the bottom quarter of the league and competitively, they still have a long way to go. And I'm not sure what the expectation should be for next season and going forward with this coaching staff and this young group. But anybody who's invested emotionally in the team this season, I think has found that to be a worthwhile investment so far. Yeah, 61 points in 70 games, but getting fatter as the as the season goes on here, especially with this latest streak over the last three weeks. And they they had a lot of injuries when they were losing games and virus issues that every team has, but it hurt them and they didn't really have the depth to overcome that. They've been keeping, uh, you know, Quinn and Paterka and Rochester. They haven't been too aggressive about bringing the young prospects up when they need them. They've played a little bit, but the focus has been on letting them develop in Rochester and UPL to some extent, even though he was here. And when you have good goaltending, when Craig Anderson's been in goal, they have a winning record. 
So they've been at home with their full lineup, a competent NHL team. When they've had injuries and when they've been weakened at goaltender, they haven't been as good. But more often than not, if you go to the game and they don't have four or five starters out on the injured list, you expect them to play well, and they've delivered on that. Well, Jonah, this was fun. We should do it again sometime. Yeah, I think you know, I got time about two weeks from Wednesday or whenever we'll get back at it. I'll have my people contact your people. Um, we'll, uh, we'll do it again later on in the week. We'll have uh, more we, things to talk we gotta about. we got to figure sure. out a roundabout way to get back on the round ball. A lot of things happened while you were down working on your tan in Florida. Yeah. And a lot of things have changed. <laughs> right. and it's not basketball season anymore, but you know we can talk a little bit about how the ball has bounced for these local programs and local schools. And absolutely, and you can tell if you're watching on Zoom exactly how much of a tan I got. Uh, I were... like got. It does look like you got a little bit of sun, but you never took the sunglasses off one time. I don't know. That's, that's incorrect. Okay. I think it's just, this is me. I'm just kind of a pinkish hue. Uh, I was not, I avoided the sun at all costs. I was in the sun for maybe 20 minutes total in the four days I was down there. You know, the sun everything was indoors talked about that. The health benefits of sun exposure. People can make fun of my albino uh, tones, but uh, I shouldn't have to worry about skin cancer. Shouldn't. Yeah, famous. I've bur- I burned a lot as a kid, and they say that just burning once or twice jacks up your your uh, chances of getting skin cancer. But I, I get get checked every year, and in fact, last year, uh, my dermatologist said I can stop coming in every year. So is that when when you're when you die, is your tombstone going to say at least it wasn't skin cancer? Right. We know it wasn't that. It's going to say Tim Graham, 1971-2026, uh, one pale motherfucker. Your obit's going to be unknown causes, comma, but not skin cancer. You know, and this is funny, coming from this guy, too, and he passed away since we did our last, uh, last podcast. John Clayton used to call me the whitest person he's ever seen in his life. And yeah. Darcy Regeer used to joke, and this is Darcy Regeer. Now, these are two pale bastards, too. Darcy Regeer used to joke that it looked like somebody broke a bag of flour over my head. Nice thing to say. Which is probably the, the reason he said it is because Lindy probably said it to Darcy. You know, I might be paler than you. I don't get quite as much uh, bullying for it, though. Well, it's because you're, uh, you're Jewish. There's other, there's other things that people <laughs> get <laughs> further down the list. All right, Jonah, thanks. Uh, good, to, good to be back with you. And thanks to everybody for listening to Tim Graham and Friends, brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. Hey, uh, before we wrap up, let me remind everybody that you should uh, go check out Amherst Pizza and Ale House for all the college and pro games, especially now with that legalized sports betting in New York. You know you want to go to a place that's got a bunch of TVs so you can monitor all the different action. And Amherst Pizza and Ale House allows you to do that. Not only football, hockey, whatever you need, but the pay-per-views, the boxing and the uh, mixed martial arts events, they have those. 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off Millersport Highway in the 990, uh, recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. Uh, Stop in or call for takeout and delivery. Obviously, uh, fantastic wings, fingers, the pizza, of course. It's right there in the title. 716-625-7100. 
Again, Amherst Pizza and Ale House number 716-625-7100. Amherst Pizza and Ale House. CTBK is more than just a full-service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and is partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you. We'll